Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hey, y'all. Welcome to the special 50th episode of the Hardy Wrestling Podcast with your girl, Stephanie Hardy. If this is your first time listening, welcome and thank you for joining the ride and for checking me out. And if this isn't your first time listening, thank you for continuing with me on this journey. We're on 50 episodes, guys. 50, 50, 50 episodes, 50 shades of me talking about wrestling for a year and some change. I'm so grateful. So in this episode, I have your news and guidance. And then I also have a Women's History Month highlight on the iconic wrestler Jazz. And I have the return of the weekly recap where I talk about Raw, NXT, and SmackDown. So sit back and relax and enjoy this special 50th episode of The Hardy Wrestling Podcast. Catch the vibe and chill out and listen, y'all. All right, so in our news and gossipish, we're going to start off with a little bit of a rumor and rumblings that's going on right now um, in the wrestling world um, involving Andrade and him possibly asking for his release from WWE. It was reported um, that he asked for his release on Monday during Raw tapings. It was reported by WrestlingInc.com and it was confirmed by Alex McCarthy of TalkSport. Um, and they don't have and they don't have a clue as to whether or not this is going to be um granted and on his instagram account seven hours ago he posted a picture of himself walking down a sidewalk in orlando florida with a denim outfit on saying if you don't like where you are move you're not a tree have a happy weekend and it's kind of sad at this point because i don't want him to go um from wwe because there was so much potential that he had like He was a United States champion. He was an NXT champion. He wrestled one of the best matches in NXT history against Johnny Gargano, you know, for the NXT title. There was that one moment me and my boyfriend had with him him and Zelina Vega at NXT Live where he was fighting someone and they actually acknowledged our existence. And then we're also, and then to also think about the rivalry he even had with Rey Mysterio and all of the great matches they had on SmackDown Live during that era and how we were actually able to witness one of those matches at a SmackDown live show in in Birmingham as well so there was and then with him with with him you know having his little faction that he had with Zelina and um Angel Garza and then later on Austin Theory before he got you know put back in NXT there was so much potential that I feel like he had but they didn't utilize it and then it's like once Zelina Vega got let go there was so much that was up in the air with him and even in this past um wwe draft he was not drafted to any show raw smackdown and he didn't show up on nxt either um which would have been cool for me personally because i would have loved for him to go back to nxt and have like a rivalry with santos escobar or just anybody in general to, to sort of reinvigorate his career but as it turns out you know this may be the end of the line for him in wwe 
Um, and I don't know how this is going to work. You know, I mean, at the same time, there are people's relationships, you know, that do kind of work out with people being in different promotions because him and Charlotte Flair are engaged. And Charlotte Flair is, of course, you know, one of the four horsewomen of WWE. And I'm pretty sure they're not going to want to let her go anytime soon. Um, so with him being in a different promotion, like maybe an AEW or a New Japan Pro Wrestling or something like that, they'll be able to make that work, you know, like Lana and Miro or like Peyton Royce and Sean Spears, aka Ty Dillinger. I'm pretty sure, you know, they can make that work out. Um, but it's unfortunate because it's kind of alarming how he just hasn't been on television lately. But I hope that if this is the end of the line for him, that he'll be able to, you know, pick up his career and just find something that actually works for him and I'll miss him dearly but you know he's rumored to be leaving so that's kind of a sad little gossipish thing that we've got going on but we don't know if it's confirmed just yet also in the news we have the announcement of two um nights of NXT takeover um taking place so during this amazing this past Wednesday NXT had an amazing episode and at the beginning of the episode um general manager William Regal announced that their next takeover event was going to be called stand and deliver and that it was going to take place over a two-day period on Wednesday April 7th and Thursday April the 8th which is basically the week before Wrestlemania so um, the first day of the action is going to be airing on the USA Network, and then the second night of the action is going to be taking place on the Peacock Net, um, streaming service because, you know, WWE and and Peacock are basically um, intertwining with one another, and then eventually they're going to, you know, combine with one another, so um, all of WWE stuff will be on Peacock. So... Um, is going to be aired in the United States and internationally. And he also made the amazing announcement of NXT having um, their first ever women's tag team championships, which was awarded and given to um, Raquel Gonzalez and Dakota Kai because they won the Dusty Rose Tag Team Classic Cup for the women, but then got screwed out of a um, tag team title match with Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax. So... Um, William Regal threw caution to the wind and said, look, I'm just going to make our own titles and then give it to them. But then, of course, you know, as events would happen on NXT, something different would happen. And I'll talk more about that in the NXT segment of the weekly recap. Also in the news, we have Molly Holly being announced as the first inductee into the class of 2021 WWE Hall of Fame. Um, this was breaking news on the bump this past Wednesday and her, and the hurricane Shane Helms broke the news to her, um, which was an emotional moment for them. And then WWE tweeted out breaking news. The first inductee in the WWE Hall of Fame class of 2021 will be Molly Holly. And in the video, she was seen crying. She was really emotional about it. And so was Hurricane because they worked together because she was Mighty Molly at first before she became Molly Holly. And um, she, and she was working a lot with him, you know, as their whole superhero counterparts. And um, it was announced that the Hall of Fame special will stream on Peacock on April the 6th, which is here again, the week of WrestleMania 37. And they're going to combine the class of 2020 with the class of 2021 because there wasn't a... Um, a ceremony for the class of 2020 last year due to the COVID-19 pandemic. So they're going to combine those two and it's going to be a lot of 
it's going to be a lot of women power in that because you have the Bella Twins and now you have Molly Holly and whoever else is going to be announced for this 2021 class. She is highly regarded as one of the best in the business and so many of her um, soon to be Hall of Fame um, schoolmates or classmates, you should say, um, tweeted about it in terms of a congratulations. Trish Stratus tweeted and said, so, so happy about this wonderful news for my beautiful and talented friend, Molly Holly. She has given so much to this business and personally, she was a huge part of helping me transition into a fighting champion that could be taken seriously. Love and appreciate her so much. Then Beth Phoenix said, wait, what? Molly Holly? Yes. WWE Hall of Fame 2021. And then Triple H said, many people say WWE superstars are real life superheroes. And in this case, she truly is a women's champion and inspiration to our current roster and simply a wonderful person. Congratulations to Molly Holly on being the first inductee into the Hall of Fame. So um, just to give a little bit of a backstory, she arrived um, in WCW as Miss Madness from 1999 to 2000. And she served as a um, as a valet for Macho Man Randy Savage. And she signed with WWE in 2000 and she was introduced as um, the cousin of um, Hardcore Holly and Crash Holly. And then she led and then which led to her um, alliance with the hurricane as Mighty Molly. And she turned heel in 2002 and became women's champion um, twice. And she was a hardcore champion. And she had some of the best feuds with Trish Stratus, Lita, Gail Kim, and Victoria. And she famously lost her hair to Victoria at WrestleMania 20 for the women's championship. And she walked around with her head bald (laughs) and it was really funny and then something that they also used to shade her about was her having a big booty and I and I guess now when you look at it you know it's kind of stupid because you can't really body shame anybody for having a big booty um because I mean women some women are small and some women are thick I mean and Molly Holly was a thick woman and that's a beautiful thing to have a big booty I know because I have one either way um congratulations to molly holly um for being inducted into the hall of fame say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill. Also in the news, we have um, the news that the TNA World Heavyweight Championship and the Impact World Championship will be unified um, tomorrow at Impact's um, pay-per-view sacrifice. Um, Rich Swan, who is the Impact World Champion, and Moose, who is the TNA um, World Heavyweight Champion, are going to fight each other. And whoever um, wins that title and wins the unified version of that title will go on to rebellion to face AEW world champion Kenny Omega um, in a title versus title match. Now, I don't necessarily know if this match is going to be, you know, who, you know, whoever wins gets both titles or whatever, or maybe it's just a title versus title or a champion versus champion match. But either way, I still feel like, you know, that's going to be a cool thing. But if Kenny Omega wins, I'll be kind of upset about it because I kind of just want all the main champions to stay black. Um, <laughs> it's all black everything over here for me. So I, I just, I'm not sure if I want him to just win the whole thing or what, but 
either way, um, it's going to be a cool thing for them to combine those titles and just and I'll just want to give a big congratulations and shout out to Rich Swan and Moose for holding it down on impact as two dominant black champions um and also in the news we have um Christian Cage um formerly known as just Christian in WWE making the decision to leave WWE to um to go to AEW And he talked about in an interview um, with Renee Paquette, a.k.a. Renee Young, on her Oral Sessions podcast and talked about how it wasn't an easy decision to make. Um, He said that he hadn't even officially signed with the company until days before the um, Revolution pay-per-view that happened this past Sunday. Um, He's quoted to say, on Wednesday, there was nothing signed. It was a shock to me when I heard the big show um, make his announcement. Obviously, Tony Khan and I hit it off pretty quick and we felt comfortable enough that we were going to work together. I wasn't sure I was going to go to AEW after the Royal Rumble and all the talks I had with WWE were very cordial. John Moxley talked to me and had his, his opinions and made me think, okay, I'm doing myself a disservice if I don't at least explore my options. At this final stage of my career, I had a conversation with Tony and it escalated very quickly. Within a week, it was a done deal. Um, And then he also went on to say that anytime there is a life altering decision, there is a lot of thought. I didn't have a lot of time to think about this, but what I really needed was the best platform for me. I got a second lease on life here to showcase myself, but also help. Where could I help the next generation? That's what I felt at AEW. It wasn't an easy decision, but it also wasn't a hard decision. There was something intriguing about being able to be hands-on with everything and having that challenge. It felt like the right situation. There's nothing wrong with WWE and how they do things. So as it turns out, what it sounds like, um, it sounds like he made the best decision for himself and wanted to... Um, not only showcase himself and his talents, but also put over new talent as well. So, and it seems like he left WWE on good um, terms, which is the same thing that Paul White, formerly known as The Big Show, did as well. So, a lot of people have a tendency to sensationalize whenever people who worked for WWE go to another company and make it seem like, oh, everything was negative and that's why they went over here. But sometimes... Sometimes people just leave because it's the best thing for them and because there's nothing evil or malicious behind it. They just want to leave because they want, you know, the best solution for them. And it doesn't mean they hate the other company or it doesn't mean that they hate what the other company has ever done for them. It's just the fact that they'll just leave, you know, and do what's best for them and what they feel like, you know, um, works for them in terms of what they want to do in terms of putting over talent and in terms of putting themselves over as well. So we wish the best for Christian Cage, but I will say watching him hug Edge at the Rumble um, kind of takes on a new meaning now. So yeah, we'll just wish Christian Cage the best and we'll also continue to wish Edge the best and hopefully one day they'll get back together and then totally reek of awesomeness. Who knows? Also in the news, we have... Um, WrestleMania tickets going on sale Tuesday and there was also the rumor that um for both nights there's um WWE is seeking for um there to be 45,000 people which kind of made me change my mind about wanting to go because as much as I want to go to see Bianca Belair versus Sasha Banks and see that historic match I don't want to get sick so I think I'm just gonna watch it from home (laughs) 
Um, but to those who really do want to go to WrestleMania and have that experience, please go ahead. But just remember to please stay as safe as you possibly can because we're still out here with this pandemic and I don't want anybody getting hurt. So, um, so yeah, the tickets go on sale Tuesday. They have um, limited packages. They have combo packages and everything, which I'm assuming is for maybe every event, you know, that week because they have the Hall of Fame, they have that Raw, and then they have the NXT TakeOvers, and then they have the WrestleMania, and then they have the Raw afterward, and then maybe the SmackDown afterward. So, I mean, hey, I mean, whatever you want to do, please, you have the freedom to do that. But just please, you know, just all of my viewers, please stay safe if you're thinking about going. Um, and also... Um, in a sad turn of events, Becky Lynch, um, posted on Instagram yesterday that she had lost her father. Um, I don't quite have her father's name, but he, she made a very heartfelt post with pictures of her and him. And I'm assuming it was her brother and stuff and stated the following. She said, my dad passed away this morning. My God, he was a great dad. My brother and I never had a second's doubt that he loved us unconditionally. He was proud of us no matter what, for not for what we did, but for who we were. The rest was just details for my pops. I used to go to him with the most trivial of problems or concerns because I knew he would never judge. In my weird teenage years, he never batted an eyelid. She's just being herself, he'd say, and would let me get back to my strange clothes and dog, dog collar chokers. When I told him I wanted to be a wrestler, he never doubted me for a second, even though I did. And when I would worry about taking risks, he'd tell me, it's an adventure, Missy, enjoy it. How right he was. My dad was a character, a gent, an athlete, an, an intellectual, and a creator. He was always full of positivity and ready to have the chats with anyone he crossed paths with, making friends at every turn. Such a charmer he was with his unmistakable, slightly regal voice and love of storytelling. I was so proud to tell everyone my dad's an inventor. None of my friends, none of my other friends' dads invented ish, but mine did. I mustn't have been more than seven when he told me to keep a diary, and I've been journaling ever since. He cultivated my love of books, writing, theater, music, I mean, movies, and life. I wish so much that I was able to be there. I wish that he would have met his baby granddaughter. I He would have gotten a great kick out of her and she would have adored him. She's a great laugh, as he would say. Though I know he was, he was so happy to have lived to know she's alive, I hope I can approach parenting the same way my dad did with us. Um, lots of love and magic. I love you forever and miss you, Pops, Bex. So we wish Becky Lynch and her brother and all of her other family members, you know, definitely, and definitely Seth Rollins as well, because that, you know, would have been his future father-in-law. We wish them all of the healing and peace that um, comes with losing a parent, because I know that that's not easy. I've seen people in my life go through that, and it is not one of the, and it is one of the hardest things that can happen to a person, you know, whether they're a child or whether they're an adult, like it never gets easy, especially if you had a good relationship with them, which it sounds like um, they had. So we're just going to continue to wish positive vibes for Becky Lynch and hope that she can, you know, pull through that and continue to be the best parent that she can to little Rue, um, her and Seth Rollins' baby. 
And that's it for news and gossipish. And now we're going to go to our Women's History Month highlight on jazz. All right, so in this Women's History Month highlight, we're going to talk about the icon, Jazz, um, who was one of my favorites growing up. And I remember she shocked the crap out of me when she came on WWE television and said, the B word is back. And I was like, girl, for real? You calling yourself that? But okay, girl, do you? And honey, she actually backed it up with all of her actions. So I'm not even mad at her. So we're going to start with talking about her beginnings. Um, She was inspired to be a wrestler when she saw um, a a WWE Hall of Famer, Jacqueline Moore. um, And she joined a wrestling school in Louisiana, which is where she's from. She made her debut at ECW in a fashion called the Impact Players. um, That's... um, which consisted of Jason Knight, Lance Storm, and Just Incredible. And then she began a feud with with Jason Knight and beat him in 1999. And in 2001, she was sent to Ohio Valley Wrestling by WWE for six months to train. And under the new ring name Jazz, she signed a two-year contract with WWE. She made her debut as a heel on Survivor Series 2001 during a six-pack challenge for the WWE Women's um, Championship. Sorry, y'all. Um, which was vacated um, by China. And this match was had um, Trish Stratus, Ivory, Jacqueline, Lita, and Molly Holly. And in 2002, she began her first rivalry with Trish Stratus after she defeated Jacqueline to become the number one contender for Trish's um, Women's Championship. And she fought at the Royal Rumble then again. And then again on Raw in February to win the title for the first time. So they were in a back and forth type of deal. And then Trish Stratus would always be her. But finally at that Raw, um, after the Royal Rumble, she beat her. And she defended her title successfully against Trish and Lita at WrestleMania 18 or X8, depending on who you're talking to, in a triple threat match. And um, she won the title again on Raw against Trish. And she also went on to win the title a third time with Teddy Long as her manager, but then ultimately lost it to Gail Kim. And then in 2004, she returned from injury to become a full-time manager to Rodney Mack, who went on to become her real-life husband. And she was released um, in November of 2004 due to creative differences. But she went on to have a flourishing career in the independent circuit, um, which started in January 2005. Her and Rodney Mack opened Dirty South Championship Wrestling in Louisiana. And she performed in um, Women's Extreme Wrestling, where she won the world championship in a fatal four-way against Angel Orsini, Simply Luscious, and a familiar um, a familiar name, Mercedes Martinez, who is now an NXT. She then became a double champion in June when she defeated April Hunter to win the NWA Cyberspace Women's Championship. And um, later on in 2010, she was inducted into the Women's Superstar Uncensored Hall of Fame. She also went on to do many other great things like... um, challenging Amber O'Neill to become the number one contender for the WSU championship where she continued to compete with the company and with national wrestling superstars in which she teamed with Balls Mahoney in a tournament. Um, she also won her third, her WSU's third uncensored rumble to earn a shot at Mercedes Martinez's WSU championship. And then Mercedes defeated Jazz in the main event 
of breaking barriers on November of 2010. And um, she was defeated by Jazz was defeated by Alicia in WSU's four year anniversary show in March of 2011. But um, she offered herself as the mystery partner um, of Marty Bell for the WSU Tag Team Championship. And they wound up winning and they wound up winning, giving her her first tag team championship. And Jazz, Marty Bell and Tina would be able to defend the belts under the Freebird rule um, where any two of the three could compete. But she went on to lose the belts um, before Jazz was able to have the defense and she pulled out of a rematch due to personal reasons. Then she went on in 2012 to participate with Shine Wrestling and she participated in the inaugural um, Shine event, Shine One, where she was awarded the Legacy Award from Diva Dirt, um, a women's wrestling website, and she was interrupted by Mercedes Martinez. Then at the event, she went on to defeat Sarah Del Rey in the main event. And as you may or may not know, Sarah Del Rey was um, one of the trainers in um, the WWE Performance Center at NXT, which caused for the women to start their women's revolution and get better and get better time for the women and wrestle the best matches that we've seen in the past six years. Um, following those events, Jazz faced Mercedes Martinez, you know, at the main event of Shine 2 in August of that year, which ended in a no contest. And after defeating Rain in Shine 3, it was announced that she was going to challenge Soraya Knight, a.k.a. Paige, who was the Shimmer Champion, um, for the title at Shine 4. And even though she suffered her first loss against Soraya, um, a.k.a. Paige, um, Mercedes Martinez and Rain um, interrupted her. And then they went on and then she went on to team up with Amazing Kong, where they um, defeated Martinez and Rain and ending that feud. Then Jazz defeated Ivelisse in a Shine Championship tournament match qualifying, but she never entered the tournament for for undisclosed reasons. So to continue with more of the accomplishments of jazz from Women's History Month, we're going to continue to talk about more th- a whole lot more than she did in the independent circuit. She would go on to NWA and then she captured the NWA World Women's Championship from Amber Gallows at NWA Texoma in, two- in September 2016. And in October of 2018, at the NWA 7th anniversary show, she successfully defended her championship against Penelope Ford, um, who is now in um, AEW. And throughout her reign, she went on to fend off title contenders such as Allie, Jordan Grace, and Thunder Rosa, who's also been on NWA television as well as um, AEW television as well, and was featured as a guest here on the Hardy Wrestling Podcast. Shout out to her. Um, she was booked to defend her championship on April 27th of 2019 against Allison K, but she vacated the title due to medical and personal reasons, which ended a 948 day title reign. And it's the third longest reign in the company's history right after Debbie Combs and the fabulous Moolah. Then in 2019, she participated in the Casino Battle Royal taking place at All Out, but was not successful as she was eliminated by ODB. 
Then she went on to participate in SWE Fury. Shout out to Teddy Long and his um, promotion out there. Um, she held the SWE Fury women's title until August of 2020 when she dropped the title to Miranda Gordy. And she formally retired from SWE Fury and became the first ever Fury Hall of Famer. And she was presented the award by James Beer and Teddy Long in Texas. And then now she's wrestling in Impact Wrestling. Um, and last year, even though she said she was retired, um, she never truly retired, retired. Um, in November of 2020, she made her debut when she revealed um, when she was revealed to team with Jordan Grace at the Impact Knockouts Tag Team Championship Tournament um, because she wanted to retire on top of her career by winning the title with Grace. Um, they defeated Killer Kelly and Renee Michelle in the first round, but were eliminated in the second round by Havoc and Nevaeh. And their loss led to a match between them at Genesis where Jazz was defeated, um, was defeated by Grace. And she also um, more recently wrestled in a match against one of the Impact Knockout Tag Team Champions, Tasha Steeles, and was victorious in that. So along with everything that she's done, um, she's been a heavy on wrestling champion one time. She's been a she's won an award for um, women's wrestling by the with the Cauliflower Alley Club. And she was um, voted number 13 in the best female singles wrestlers in the PWI female 50 in 2012. And of course, she's won the women's championship in WWE slash WWF, you know, three times. And she's a Texas Wrestling Hall of Famer in the class of 2012. And she and of course, like I mentioned earlier, she's a WEW um, world champion and she won the WSU Tag Team Championship with Marty Bell and she's a WSU Hall of Famer in the class of 2010. So she has done so much for women's wrestling and I feel like a lot of the time a lot of her accomplishments go un you know go underrated and it's kind of unfortunate because she opened the doors for a lot of black female wrestlers you know to be where they are and she deserves all of her flowers and all the credits for everything that she's done. Now, I would personally love to see her go to WWE and do it and have a whole nother WWE reign and actually get her flowers for what she did in WWE because her feuds um with her stratus and the likes of victoria were something to see you know in the 2000s and she actually deserves a whole lot of credit for all of that so here's hoping that one day she actually gets more of a shine in the main stage and of course she's also doing everything she can to foster it to um, feed into the future of women's wrestling by actually having started you know mission pro wrestling with um thunder rosa as well and you know even if she doesn't get her shine on the main and on the mainstream you know level with wrestling she always has it you know in all of our hearts as well so this is just you know a segment to pay tribute to women and you know their contributions to wrestling this month since it's women's history month and i will continue to do this you know as we continue to celebrate um this month as well so that's the end of that segment and now we're going to go to the return of the weekly recap where i talk about raw nxt and smackdown Okay, so we're going to recap Raw 
And I have been watching, you know, wrestling consistently for like the past couple of weeks or at least the past two months because because I know lately my episodes haven't been, you know, recapping everything that's happened on the shows and stuff. But I have been watching it and Raw really hasn't necessarily, my opinion of Raw hasn't necessarily changed in the sense that I feel like it's on the struggle bus. But there's been a couple of better things that have happened on Raw lately. So I am going to lean more into that. But I'm going to, of course, start with talking about what's going on with the women. And on Raw, the only women's things that took place was the women's tag team title match between Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler defending their titles against Naomi and Lana, who did, you know, win a match a couple of weeks back in order to have to become number one contenders for it. Now, um... Nia Jax came out with Reggie because after Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair and Carmella basically threw Reggie, you know, and kicked him to the curb on SmackDown, Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler, you know, were backstage and then Nia Jax said, oh, Reggie's kind of cute. Maybe he should come with us. So now Reggie is with Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler now, which sort of irritates me because I really didn't want him anywhere near the main event for Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks because this is their moment and they need to have their moment these two black women fought for this so this should be their moment um so now he's going to you know somehow or another insinuate his way um into Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler's orbit and that's annoying to me too because they really don't need him it's like you already have Shayna Baszler being as strong as she is and seeing as she's the one who put Asuka, you know, out of commission with the concussion and, you know, a tooth being kicked out. I mean, and then you have Nia Jax being, you know, the powerhouse that she is. What what do you need Reggie for? Like, why? Like, why is Reggie here? Why can't we just put him back on NXT and just leave him out of these women's business? Like, but anyway, um, Nia... Naya and Shayna kind of thought that they were going to run through Naomi and Lana, but that's not what happened at all. Naomi wiped out Jack Jackson Baszler with a dive heading into the commercial break. Um, and then back from the commercial break, Shayna Baszler blasted Lana with a clothesline and then they gained the advantage during the timeout. Um, and then Shayna Baszler targeted the arm of Lana because of course, you know, they've been bullying each other. She's been bullying Lana since last year. Um, which kind of speaks to how irritated I am with this situation. Then Lana hit a hot tag to Naomi to spark the comeback, during which Naomi drove Jack's face first into the mat. But then, of course, Reggie got into their business and provided a distraction um, to Lana, which allowed for Nia Jax to bowl over Lana um, and score the win following a powerbomb on her. And then after the match, Jax hoisted Reginald over her shoulder and carried him up the ramp. So now Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler don't have any more, you know, challengers at this point. And I guess Lana and Naomi are just going to keep trying for it unless they try to give that chance to someone else like maybe Mandy and um, Dana Brooke. But then Mandy and Dana Brooke, you know, that night was talking about how they want to challenge Oscar for the Raw Women's title. Um, even though Charlotte, you know, made her presence known and said, you know, I'm looking at you guys to prove yourself over the next couple of weeks, you know, since WrestleMania is coming up. And I kind of feel sorry for Mandy and Dana and any other woman and also Peyton Royce, too, because you have and also um, reckoning in retribution. 
I feel sorry for for all of these women who have to take a back seat to to Charlotte because it's looking like they're going to push the whole Oscar and Charlotte narrative yet again at WrestleMania. But I feel so sorry for them because it's almost as if backstage isn't taking the rest of these women seriously in terms of the Raw Women's Championship, you know, and it's just like it's just kind of disorganized here. Like because it's like since Zelina Vega, you know, was released, I can't remember the last time I saw Oscar really fight to maintain her title you know her title reign and then there was the little bit of a feud she had with Mickey James but outside of that we haven't really seen her really defend her title and it's a shame really because Asuka deserves better booking than this and it's a shame that all the other women are being forced to take a back seat to someone who's had chance after chance after chance because by all accounts Naomi should have a chance to fight Oscar for the Raw Women's title considering she was possibly like the last person to pin her you know fair and square so it's just it's just kind of unfair and the women's division on Raw is on the struggle bus and then they keep you know showing these vignettes saying Rhea Ripley is supposed to be coming soon and I wouldn't even her to come like right now because it's a shame that it's one that we're depending on one person to come and add, you know, some spice to the raw women's division. But that's literally where we're at now. And it's just really sad that we're at this point. Um, but and then, of course, Lacey Evans, you know, she's out with her pregnancy and with her doing other things. So it's just it's just a shame. And the raw women's division just really needs some help. Um, and then, of course, we had Peyton Royce come on Raw Talk and cut that little promo she did talking about how she deserves to have a chance to face Oscar because she knows that she can beat her and she's tired of people not believing in her because she believes in herself and all of that. But at the same time, here again, it just feels like they're just going to do the whole Charlotte versus Oscar thing and it's just tiresome at this point. So yeah that's pretty much all that's going on with the raw women um but with the men the first um match we have on the card was Bobby Lashley versus The Miz in a rematch because of course Bobby Lashley is now the WWE champion after beating The Miz and making him tap out in a lumberjack match after The Miz tried to fandangle his way out of it Bobby Lashley finally beat him and now we have another big black champion and it didn't take us 11 or 16 years to get there thank god so <laughs> the Miz went to the squared circle and sort of cut a promo and talked about how he was mad about the way things went down you know last week you know telling and he was talking about his willingness to do whatever it took you know only for him to be forced into a title defense despite him feeling sick and under the weather because he was pretending like he was sick um so he suggested that he you know defended the title and then he exploited the championship advantage and then he talked about how he was screwed over but he talked about how he was going to win the title back and all of that so Bobby Lashley entered the arena with a whole new entrance and when I tell you this entrance video was off the chain like they had golden lightning strikes like this dude was Zeus from Hercules and and then he had like a whole package of him dominating all of his competitors that he fought up until that point and then on the screen it had almighty in big giant golden letters and he came out there with MVP with like a renewed sense of I'm here, I'm the champion, I'm finna kill everybody. And that was so cool. Like, 
sir, you better be almighty. And they better put that version of the almighty thing on a shirt because I want it. Um, then, of course, you know, as the match started, Bobby Lashley dominated early, dropping dropping the Miz with a vertical suplex. And then he shook off the collision um, to the ring post, which flattened the Miz heading into the commercial break. And then when they came back from commercial, um, Bobby Lashley was overpowering the Miz and tossing him around like a rag doll. All the while, Drew McIntyre was watching from the backstage area because he's because he's assumed to be the next person to challenge Bobby Lashley for the WWE title. I mean, of course, until Sheamus sort of, you know, threw a, a wrench in that plan. Then Bobby Lashley caught Miz on the arena floor and sent him face first into the ring post. And um, he tapped Miz out with the hurt lock to basically retain his title. And then backstage, Sarah Schreiber um, found Drew McIntyre. And then um, he cut a passionate promo talking about how he wanted his title back and all that. Until Sheamus attacked him from out of nowhere and left his former friend lying backstage. Which led into um, the conflict that they're set to have. Then Braun Strowman demanded an apology from Shane McMahon. And they faced off... Um, to a very weird thing and he was demanding an apology and stuff and he said that Shaman Man couldn't be laughing at him and thinking he's a fool because he would snap him like a twig and he does still understand that Shaman Man could fire him at any time and then Shane came out there and faced him and then said I'm sorry and then he you know left leaving Strowman kind of confused and then Shane looked back as if you know he had something else to say but then he continued to walk out of the arena then after that, Drew McIntyre and Sheamus had a no DQ match, and this match was really good. So Drew McIntyre attacked Sheamus during his entrance, um, jump starting the match and everything. And then Drew McIntyre drove Sheamus into the ring steps and then teased using a kendo stick on Sheamus. But then Sheamus used the middle rope to deliver a low blow and seized control of the match. Then Drew McIntyre cut off Sheamus's momentum and unloaded a barrage of kendo stick shots um to the body of Sheamus which of course left marks on him which gives which gives more credence to the fact that wrestling is not fake then they came back from commercial breaking and they kept trading blows in the corner of the ring and then Sheamus got the upper hand then he scaled the ropes but then Drew McIntyre cut him off and then added a big chop to the chest then Drew McIntyre brought Sheamus off of the top rope with a big superplex but then Sheamus responded with white noise moments later for a near fall then Drew McIntyre blocked um a steel chair shot and then added one of his own and then he added a future shot DDT for a two count but then he teased the claymore kick but then Sheamus caught him with the chair and then added a jumping knee strike but then outside the ring both both of the men like lifted up steel chairs overhead and ran at each other colliding into each other and crashing to the floor and then the referee checked them checked on both men and considering they didn't get get a response from either man they called off the match and requested medical assistance for both the competitors so this match was really good but then it seemed like you know they were both they both kind of injured each other so i'm pretty sure at some point they're going to fight each other again but for this to be a no dq match where they used a whole lot of weapons and stuff it was still really good so there's that and i'm pretty sure they're going to continue to fight each other um leading into wrestlemania so then after that we had xavier woods versus shelton benjamin 
And then they announced that next week, um, the Hurt Business and the New Day are going to fight each other for the Raw Tag Team Championships yet again, which disappoints me because it seemed like Kofi and Mustafa Ali were set to fight each other in a um, rivalry, but nothing came of that. And I feel like that was a huge mistake because they had such a good storyline, you know, going into that. Um with Mustafa being mad at Kofi for taking away his opportunity when he was injured, which led to the events of Kofi mania and stuff like that. But they just dropped that out of nowhere. And now Mustafa's beefing with Matt Riddle for the United States championship. And now we've just thrown them back, thrown the new day back into the tag team picture. Like that was, that is a misfire on Raw's um, part. And that's just wrong. But this match was short and sweet, but it was still pretty good though, between Woods and Benjamin though. So Shelton Benjamin grounded Xavier Woods, working him over with a rear chin lock. Um, and then Kofi Kingston was trolling um, Shelton Benjamin and said, sick move said, sick move said Shelton, um, which I think is his new thing. He likes to troll people just like he did Randy Orton at um, Elimination Chamber and talked about his calf muscles. Um, then Xavier Woods overcame a concentrated attack by Benjamin throughout the match, firing off a series of strikes. And he kept following up with a sunset flip for a two count. But then Shelton Benjamin survived that pinfall attempt and then caught up and then got caught up talking trash to Kofi Kingston, which allowed Xavier to roll him up for the win, which gives the New Day the advantage going into their tag team match um, next Monday. So I'm not sure if they're going to win, you know, but I still feel like that's pretty good for them as a tag team. But also something that took sort of the shine away from the match itself was the new day's new gear get made by um jonathan davenport and their ring gear was homages to scorpion and sub-zero from mortal kombat only the mortal kombat logo wasn't a dragon it was a unicorn and it was a very menacing looking unicorn so if you're a fan of the game mortal kombat or the movie that's set to come out that was really cool to see and um i love how kofi's outfit matched his golden hair and I really love Xavier's because his was blue and it was just really cute. So um, that was cool. Then we had Matt Riddle versus Slapjack and from Retribution. And seeing as um, next week, Mustafa is supposed to be facing Matt Riddle for the United States Championship. Um, Riddle was looking to fight one of the members of Retribution for that. So Matt Riddle was more motivated and he started attacking from the opening bell and punishing um slapjack with strikes and powerful suplexes as he's a beast of then slapjack momentarily recovered and turned the tide in his favor um but then matt riddle answered with a final flash knee and then slapjack recovered from that and then delivered his own strike for a near fall as ali was barking orders at him but then riddle fought back and then delivered another big knee and added the bro Derek for the win much to the chagrin of mustafa ali who after all of his members lose matches he does this thing where he verbally abuses them and it's just kind of painful to see so it's giving me the impression that maybe one day at some point retribution will turn their back on mustafa ali and he'll just be by himself which i think is kind of a mistake but if he's going to keep verbally abusing them then i mean i guess that's just what's going to happen um so or maybe he might just drop them and tell them they're a waste of time who knows but like I said Mustafa is supposed to be fighting Riddle for the United States title next week on Raw so I'm looking forward to that because athletically those two are really good you have this cruiserweight person um 
going up against this athlete who's based in the MMA and stuff. So that's going to be really good to see. Then we had Braun Strowman versus Vince McMahon part two. And Braun Strowman and Shaman got in the ring for the second time because Shane had something to get off his chest. And then he left the ring and admitted that he does like to have fun at the expense of others. And he just kept trying to and he just kept stuttering over his words over and over again, almost to the point to where it just didn't seem like he knew what to say. And he said, never would I ever explicitly call you stupid. Um, even though he was insinuating that he was calling him stupid, but then Strowman got mad at him and then started chasing after him. But then he failed to catch him after he after Shane supposedly hopped in an SUV and sped off. And then as Strowman walked away, Miss Shane McMahon reappeared and said, he's so stupid. And I thought this was dumb. That was such a waste of time. And it just seems like they're beefing up the idea that Shane and braun are supposed to be fighting at wrestlemania because shane has a death wish um he has a continuous death wish and it seems like they're possibly gonna fight each other or maybe shane will get somebody else to fight on his behalf but i'm not interested in watching them fight each other at wrestlemania i'm just not and it's kind of unattractive to see braun Strowman, you know come out and sort of talk about how he deserves to have you know, a championship opportunity and stuff like that. But my thing is, it's like, you've already been universal champion. You've gotten all the things already. So maybe you need to just chill and just not try to, you know, put your foot in people's business because he almost ruined the whole Miz and Bobby Lashley thing a few weeks ago. And if he had gotten in that, that would have irritated me. So now it seems like Braun Strowman is, is beefing with Shane McMahon and it feels like the most unnecessary feud ever and I kind of wanted to stop so we're just gonna keep going and the main event was Randy Orton versus AJ Styles so this was this happened due to a backstage segment with the new guy I feel like his I think his name is Patrick I can't remember his name but he's a new broadcaster um and he's Irish and he seems very professional except I'm wondering where Charlie Caruso is I know that Charlie Caruso aka Charlie Arnold does work on ESPN a whole lot too but I'm I'm missing her presence because he's also now hosting Raw Talk and I'm just like where is Charlie but either way um in this segment AJ Styles was openly mocking Randy Orton's issues with Alexa Bliss and along with almost and um Randy Orton didn't take too kindly to that so they challenged each other to a match um which was the main event and so Randy Orton um was really angry about it so he kept attacking AJ Styles you know from the opening bell and punished him for several minutes and then heading into the commercial break almost made his presence felt and turned the tide in favor of his charge and then AJ Styles worked Randy Orton over dominating the action after the final commercial break of the night um, he grounded Randy Orton, trapping him in a headlock, um, looking to cut the air off from Randy Orton. But then Randy Orton fought back and then jarred AJ Styles with a backbreaker. And then AJ Styles rebounded and tried for the phenomenal forearm. But then Randy Orton shook the ropes, knocking him down. But then um, AJ Styles recovered and applied the calf crutcher to Randy Orton. But then Randy Orton barely kicked his way out of the submission and delivered the draping DDT. Then as Randy Orton rose to his feet and teased the RKO, almost pulled um, pulled Randy Orton out of the ring 
but then the arena became engulfed in pink which led to alexa bliss appearing on the video screen and she lit a match igniting flames from the ring post causing randy orton to vomit black bile again and then aj styles blasted orton with the phenomenal forearm for the pinfall victory so i'm ready for bray wyatt to come back in his evolved fiend form because there has to be a reason why alexa bliss keeps effing with him over and over again and making him you know turn into this zombie who throws up black bile all the time she keeps putting all these satanic curses on him and messing with him over and over again so if this isn't definitely going to lead to a match with alexa bliss and randy orton then i'm ready for randy to fight um bray wyatt now um, because these tricks do entertain me though. I love them, but at the same time, I'm ready, you know, for the, the big ending where the fiend comes and destroys Randy Orton now. Like I'm really ready for it, but all in all, this match was still pretty good. And it sort of reminded me of the SmackDown live era when AJ Styles and Randy Orton were beefing with each other because Randy Orton was the guy who came up, you know, through OVW and then to WWE Whereas AJ Styles had to go through and fight through, you know, the indies and then with Ring of Honor and New Japan and all over the world before he was able to get to WWE and they had that beef going on. It kind of reminded me of that, but um, it wasn't on that same level now, of course, because it's a whole different story. Um, so that's pretty much it for um, Monday Night Raw. And now we're going to recap the really awesome episode of NXT. Right, so we're gonna recap NXT, and I'm so excited to do that considering NXT had one of the best episodes on wrestling television in terms of Wednesday night. And I'm not saying that because I'm biased, I'm saying that because this episode was fantastic. So I'm gonna start with the women, and actually, the show actually did indeed start with the women. Uh, William Regal, the general manager of NXT, announced. Um, made two amazing announcements he announced that um nxt takeover stand and deliver was going to be over two nights and i did discuss that in the news and gossipish segment so i won't talk too much about that so that was his first announcement then his second announcement um involved um the women's roster and all of the women were out there and he called dakota kai and raquel gonzalez to the ring and once he called them to the ring, he told them, you know, that when it comes to the women's Dusty Cup, you know, you guys outperformed all the other tag teams and won that cup. And you won your opportunity to face um, Nia Jackson and Shayna Baszler for the women's tag team titles. But somehow or another got screwed out of that opportunity because Adam Pierce, the WWE official for both Raw and SmackDown, um, intervened in matters that didn't, you know, involve him. So William Regal decided to create the nxt women's tag team titles and awarded those titles to dakota kai and raquel gonzalez and they were really crunk about it and the titles are absolutely beautiful they look just like the men's um nxt tag team titles except of course they have the white strap and i love the white straps those are really cute um so they were really excited about being the first ever nxt women's tag team champions and as they were celebrating and as the women were still out there, some of them looking happy and other ones like um, Candice LeRae and um, Indy Hartwell were looking disgusted or whatever. 
you had Shotzi Blackheart and Ember Moon, who I've deemed Team Black Moon, challenge them, you know, to defend those titles on the same night that they won them. So I basically think like they basically came out there and said, you know, if they're going to be champions and there have to be challengers. And so they basically challenged Raquel and Dakota that night. And they basically accepted the challenge and William Regal was okay with that. So he approved it. So I feel like this is a really good move, you know, for the NXT women's division, because it seems like the women's division of NXT is a little bit more, you know, split down the middle between the women who can be tag teams and the women who are single stars. And it will give all the women, you know, something else to do when they're not in the main title picture. So I'm really happy about that because I am definitely a proponent of, you know, them having of people on all three brands, you know, having multiple belts as opposed to just having you know one title to just go for but if you're gonna have multiple titles you know for the women you need to give all of them you know something to do and something substantial to do with those titles so yeah like I think this is really cool and I think this is gonna be a good um thing for NXT as they continue to raise the bar for women's wrestling as they always do because they have some of the best women in the world also um something that happened on NXT was the NXT Women's Championship match between Io Shirai and Tony Storm. So Tony Storm was under the impression that Io Shirai was always afraid of her because Tony defeated her um at the Mae Young Classic, you know, in order to win. And so she basically thought that she was, you know, the one to take the title off of Io because Io's basically been undefeated um all this time. And this match was pretty decent. Um, Tony Storm even came out dressed in pants, which is definitely different because normally she comes out in shorts and like um, tights. But this time she came out in pants that made her look like Beetlejuice and it was really cute. Um, they really destroyed each other here. Um, it was really cool. It was something that was really amazing was that Io Shirai was kicking out of two Storm Zeros, which are basically t- Tony Storm's is like um, finishing move. But it was like she just what it was just immune to him. But then it's like Tony Storm escaped a cross face by Io Shirai and she dodged a moonsault. And then even when Tony Storm went for a diving head but it missed, you know, she was still trying to fight back. But then Io um caught her in the cross face and forced her to tap out. So Io Shirai is still the NXT Women's Champion, which sort of left us wondering like who else can challenge her. So. Now, on top of that, later on, um, we're going to figure out who who is going to be next to challenge her. So this was a really intense match match here. So I don't know who else is going to have a chance. But um, well, we do know who else is going to have a chance. And I'm going to talk about that like right now. Then we had our NXT Women's Tag Team Championship match between Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez versus Ember Moon and um, Shotzi Blackheart. So they started their match and... Dakota Kai and Raquel started off very confidently and Raquel wore down Shotzi Blackheart and worked Dakota Kai in order to keep her uh, work with Dakota Kai to keep them isolated from each other. Then Ember Moon got the hot tag and went off and went off on the champs and then Ember Moon managed to kick out of the elevated snap kick and get the tag back to Shotzi. And then there was this really cool part where I believe Shotzi did a dive while Ember Moon was standing on top of the second rope. And it was really cool looking. That was amazing. Um, And then the challengers worked to isolate um, Dakota Kai, hitting a series of impressive moves. Then Ember Moon tried to put away Raquel with the Eclipse. 
But then somehow or another, Raquel blocked the eclipse, which is something that we haven't seen that often, you know, since Ember, you know, has been in WWE. Then, um, Ember, you know, fought to the outside of the match and then Shotzi, you know, stacked up Dakota Kai for a shocking three count. And it was kind of like a flexible, like, like a like a bridge where she did and then she basically you know counted Dakota Kai out and then um basically now we have new (laughs) NXT women's tag team champions in team Black Moon and they celebrated and Shotzi was crying and she was just really excited because this is really her first title in WWE period and I also saw someone post on Instagram that she's the first Filipina to um to to win a wwe title ever so congratulations you know to her for that and her father was there and um she was hugging and crying him and crying with him and embraced with him and everything and then of course backstage dakota kai and gonzalez were really upset you know that they lost but no but they were reiterating that no one could take away the fact that they were the first ever nxt women's tag team champions so as they were upset and angry about that, however, Io Shirai came backstage and got in Raquel Gonzalez's face and said that she wanted her next for the NXT Women's title. And I thought this was an amazing um, example of story, long-term storytelling here because at War Games um, last year, um, Raquel was the one who pinned Io Shirai, you know, for the win for... Um, for the for the team that she for team Candace that she was on and then you go on and then all of a sudden you know the dusty cup starts and then Raquel and Dakota you know start working together as a tag team and then you have everyone else sort of going for Io Shirai for the women's for the women's championship and you're sort of wondering how this is going to play out and then you also have Raquel who beat Rhea Ripley in her last match at NXT in the last woman standing match so you have all this momentum on Raquel Gonzalez's side and you're wondering when she's going to be able to go for it. Even Wednesday when she was walking up the ramp with Dakota, you know, with the tie with the um tag titles, Io Shirai, you know, walked out there and she was staring daggers at her before the match with Tony Storm. So it had a lot of, you know, intricate storytelling there. So now we're going to get Io versus Raquel probably at TakeOver at Stand and Deliver maybe or you know maybe sooner than later but either way I'm really happy that Io and Raquel are finally going to have the the chance to fight but I don't know where this is going to leave Dakota Kai so uh uh-huh um (laughs) also the women the women basically just just ruled NXT Wednesday that's probably the reason why I loved it so much either way (laughs) Kaden Carter was facing Zia Lee to get revenge on behalf of her friend um Casey Catanzaro for being injured a couple weeks ago and before this Zoe Stark you know talked about her wrestling history and the hard work that she had done to get to NXT and Kaden Carter came out and sort of started fighting Zia Lee immediately because normally when it comes to Zia Lee lately she's been coming out and sort of dominating all of her opponents but Kaden Carter was not having it she jumped on her immediately and just gave her a drop kick as soon as she finished her whole little entrance in the ring and everything and then um 
Zion Lee trapped Kaden Carter next to the steel barricade. And then Casey Catanzaro came out, you know, to be her, to be um, Kaden's support. And she couldn't take it anymore. So she took her crutch and started beating the crap out of Zion Lee. And then when Boa, the guy who's been with, um, who's been with the, the Chinese warrior group, I don't want to, you know, say the wrong name. Um, he came out there to make Catanzaro pay, but then Kaden Carter made the save and hit him with the other crutch. And then they basically ran away. And then Boa and Zaylee bowed to um, Tian Shaw, the leader of the group or whatever, who sits on the throne. And they and basically team Casey squared ran away. And I felt like even though this match was still kind of short, Kaden Carter still showed that she had a lot to prove. Um, going up against Zia Lee, who's been dominant, you know, and I feel like Kaden Carter doesn't get a whole lot of credit because I feel like they talk a lot about her, you know, with her best friend, Casey Catanzaro and how they work together well as a tag team. But I feel like they don't give Kaden Carter nearly enough credit for how she, how good she is as a singles competitor and how better she's gotten. So she deserves a little bit more credit and it was just good to see her, you know, fight, like that you know towards someone who's been absolutely dominant and that's really all that happened with the women but it was really lit though so um with the first male match we had was pete dunn um with oni lorkin and danny birch the nxt tag team champions versus jake atlas and jake atlas out here was really proving himself worthy to go up against somebody like pete dunn who's known as the bruiser weight and actually you know wrestles a little bit in a little bit kind of like the British strong style type of thing and he likes to tear every piece of your body apart so it was really cool to see him you know stand up to Pete Dunne because Pete Dunne can be a little bit of a bully when he when he wrestles people um but before this match um Eli Drake was mocking well not Eli Drake that's not his name LA Knight was mocking Bronson Reed until um Bronson Reed you know attacked him and then um Imperium told Timothy Thatcher that it had to come to NXT that they had to come to NXT to bring him home then Jake Atlas proceeded to beat up Pete Dunn then Pete Dunn targeted the left arm of the cruiserweight um leaving a lasting impact that allowed for Pete to basically stop any brief bouts of offense that he could muster but literally Jake was trying though then the tag team champions, you know, were gloating at ringside as um, Pete Dunne was setting himself to put in, put the match away. And then there was a surprise burst of energy that caught Pete Dunne off guard. And then um, Jake Atlas hit a standing moonsault and a release suplex. There was also this part where he was walking, where it seemed like he was balancing himself on the top rope and doing a version of the old school move that The Undertaker used to do on the top rope, except he wasn't walking with his feet. He was walking with his arms and it was really cool but then Pete Dunn caught him on the rebound by the hand and then he snapped his fingers and wrenched his left arm back to force a submission and Jake Atlas tapped out then um Pete Dunn grabbed a microphone and reminded everyone that he's the best technical wrestler in the world and he dared anyone to prove him wrong which led me to live tweet and say okay Pete Dunn since you think you're the best technical wrestler they need to book a match between him Daniel Bryan and Cesaro to see which one is the best technical wrestler out of all of y'all because baby you would have a good match with all three of them men 
but you know this is a smackdown versus nxt but i really feel like if they really wanted to do it they could do it and it would be an awesome match the winner would be the viewers so <laughs> we're just gonna move on um also with the men you had the grizzled young veterans versus um legado del fantasma um jordan devlin came out and announced that his travel ban had been lifted and he was going to head back to nxt um with the real nxt cruiserweight championship to um and he was gonna and he promised that he was gonna confront santos escobar who's been running around pretending to be the nxt cruiserweight champion or whatever um and then Escobar was complaining to William Regal, and then he told Raul Mendoza and Joaquin Wilde to handle their business alone without him. Um, and then also with the men, you had a promo um, from Leon Ruff, who has been having a rough time, no pun intended, a rough time with um, Isaiah Swerve Scott, who's been, you know, angry at him, you know, sort of falling into opportunities for the NXT North American title, whereas Isaiah Swerve Scott has had to sort of scrape for his. And now he's turned heel and he started attacking Leon Ruff and kicking him in the head and beating him up. And Leon has had enough of it. So he basically was like, look, I'm so sick of you. You know, I'm going to beat your butt and all that other stuff. So I'm excited to see Leon Ruff actually get get a little bit more buck and serious at someone who will bring out that rough part of him. I keep saying rough over and over again, and I promise I'm not trying to make no puns, but yeah, literally, that's what keeps happening. So back to the match involving Legado del Fantasma and the Grizzly Young Veterans. Um, <laughs> the Grizzly Young Veterans makes me laugh every time they do their entrance because they'll start talking smack at their opponents and then re- start beefing themselves up. And then the Grizzly Young Veterans, you know, called everyone else puppets. And I and it made me laugh so hard because they said it's so strong. <laughs> um, but after that point, they, the match started. Um, and... As they were fighting, you know, it really didn't get started that much because it was kind of short because MSK came out in spacesuits pretending to be Brizongo before revealing who they were. And it looks like MSK are really goofballs. They're the winners of the um, men's Dusty Cup for the tag teams. And they're really talented, but they're also really goofy, especially since that whole tweet thing that they did with eating the popcorn with Beth Phoenix. Like, that was really funny. Um... Then the distraction allowed um, for Legado del Fantasma to roll up James Drake from the Grizzly Young Veterans for the win. And then afterward, the real um, Brizongo came out to beat up Legado del Fantasma, which means they had no time to celebrate their victory. And then Wesley from MSK crushed the hand of um, James Drake in retaliation for attacking them last week. So that's what happened there. And then the the main event was the nxt championship match between finn balor and adam cole and it was kind of different because a lot of people well the commentary team was basically talking about how adam cole was sort of and finn balor mentioned this too how adam cole has has always had the x factor with his group the undisputed era but now it seems like He's just going to go it alone from now on. And it just seems like he always had that insurance policy. So now he's going to fight on his own without his group now. And a lot of people were wondering if he was going to be able to, you know, fight with that. But he basically, you know, had a pretty stellar match with Finn Balor here. Um, So they were trading punches early on in the match. um, And they were feeling each other out while inflicting lots of damage. Um, Then Balor made an impact with a drop kick and a standing elbow drop while um 
Adam Cole knocked Finn Balor out with a punt kick on the apron. Then Finn Balor stopped Adam Cole from using the steel steps and suplex the challenger onto the ramp. And then when they got back into the ring, Adam Cole reversed the 1916 into a kneecap brain buster. I love Adam Cole's transitions out of moves. It's so cool. Then Finn Balor stopped the Panama Sunrise hitting a sling blade and corner drop kick, but he missed the coup de gras and ran into a super kick. Then Adam Cole locked in a cross face and then Finn Balor barely managed to get to the ropes, but he did um, to break the hold. Then Finn Balor again tried the 1916, but Adam Cole spun through it to hit the last shot for a near fall. Like this is where it got kind of close for me. Then Adam Cole hit the Panama Sunrise and again the champion kicked out. Usually the Panama Sunrise ends it, you know, for a lot of Adam Cole's um, opponents, but um, not in this case because Balor was not trying to give up. Then Finn Balor sent Cole outside of the ring where he found where he found Kyle O'Reilly walking out from the back, and Kyle O'Reilly looked like an angry ghost here, and it was just really funny because. It's like, Adam, you were mad at me for getting my championship opportunity and for me having my moment. And now I'm going to ruin yours. That's kind of what was going on. And then the distraction set up Finn Balor to hit the 1916 on the outside, followed by Coup de Gras to um, retain his NXT championship. And then after the match ended, Kyle O'Reilly walked towards the ring. And as he got ready to attack him, Finn Balor was like, okay, go get him. And he proceeded to beat up Adam Cole and attack him viciously. And then he ripped off the Undisputed Era band off of his arm, which note, which is basically telling you this is over. <laughs> the Undisputed Era is over and you ruined it. And yeah, he broke our hearts. And But will I still chant Adam Cole, baby? Yes, I will. Um... And then he threw him into the stage area and kept running him into the fences, you know, where the audience was. It was just like, yep, get your vengeance, Kyle, get your vengeance. Then after that, Finn Balor was watching it happen, but then he felt a presence behind him and he said, what took you so long? And the person that was behind him was Karrion Cross, as they stared each other down as if to say that Karrion Cross is the next in line to go for the NXT championship that he technically never lost. And that's how NXT ended. Like I said, it was a solid episode here. It was probably one of the best NXT episodes they've ever had. Um, so yeah, it was really cool. And now we're going to recap SmackDown. All right, and for the last weekly recap, we're going to discuss SmackDown. So, this is all leading up to Fastlane, which is the last um, stop on the road to WrestleMania, which is something they keep reiterating a whole lot tonight. So, I'm going to start with the women, and the first segment we had with the women was showing the women's tag team champions, Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler, taking Reggie on a shopping spree in some type of haberdashery i guess is the word for it um suit place um <laughs> and naya was basically spoiling him and Shayna baszler was there for the ride but really didn't care 
because she was because it was kind of clear that she's the type of person who doesn't care about what people wear or whatever and it was clear when she was commentating with Nia Jax during the um during the tag team match with um Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair versus Tamina and Natalia that she really could have cared less about him in his little suit or whatever um because she wanted everybody to focus on the opponent and the action that was going on in the ring but she really didn't care but Nia has basically taken on the um the whole girlfriend deal and it's so funny because it reminds me of how when she and Enzo Amore were actually gonna like get together but then he got caught up in all his drama and that story wound up not happening and it was cute for a minute because she was actually calling him Bay and everything and she tried to poo-poo it off or whatever but at the same time it was just like she sounded like a girlfriend it was like I bought him that and that's my Bay and all the other stuff so um that part was cute but i'll also but i'll get into more of reggie in a minute um so after they show them going shopping and everything kevin owens um was having his kevin owens show and he had bianca Belair and sasha banks as the guests of course because they are leading up to their historic match at um wrestlemania for the smackdown women's title and they were sort of, you know, shooting little barbs at each other because um, Sasha Banks said something that I thought was really cool. Somebody actually wrote an article about it a couple months ago um, before she made her big return where they said that she was the Michael Jordan of the WWE because of all the championships she's won. And truthfully, that's not a com- that's not a complete lie. You know, it's not a complete lie. She kind of is the Michael Jordan because, I mean, she's the great she's the greatest of all time. And I've said that you know a billion times on this show um and she was making it seem like you know Bianca Belair you know she had her you know accomplishments but she was making it seem like the only reason Bianca has her accomplishments is because Sasha Banks has blazed the trail and all of that but Bianca Belair was letting her know that you know even though you've blazed the trail you know I can make my own lane but they got interrupted by Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler who were coming out there to um be on commentary you know for their match and guess who came out there? Reggie. And so Natalia and Tamina came out there and they looked absolutely amazing, you know, in their matching red and black outfits and stuff. Um, so this match felt relatively short, but at the same time, it was still a, a, a pretty good match. I want I'm intrigued with the idea of watching Sasha Banks and Natalia fight each other a whole lot more because the sequence in which they were you know going against each other was very entertaining to look at but anytime Bianca Belair got in the ring it was almost like Nia would send um Nia would send Reggie to be a distracting factor in the match to distract the referee or you know show off his suit or whatever and Shayna Baszler was just irritated with all of it and it was just it was weird because there was a point where Bianca Belair actually hit a finishing move and the referee wasn't able to count it out because he was because Reggie was distracting the referee and I get that Bianca and Sasha are set to fight um Nia and Shayna at Fastlane for the tag team titles but at the same point in rate you know and I get that she was doing that to sort of tell that story for Fastlane but at the same time, for him to distract Bianca Belair and distract Sasha Banks to the point to to where, you know, she was getting in his face and fighting him and, you know, undoing her to the point where they came to, you know, 
defeat by the hands of Tamina. And then to make matters worse, Tamina pinned Bianca, who's been on a winning streak, you know, all this time, ever since she got to the main roster. It was just very disheartening to see that because she won the Royal Rumble. She did all of this stuff and worked this hard to get to this point only to lose in this tag team match because Sasha Banks wasn't focused on the goal because she was all up in Reggie's face. And I was a little bit frustrated by it, but seeing as I really don't necessarily want Sasha and Bianca to win the tag titles, you know, it's, I'm not entirely that angry about it. There were a lot of people online tonight who really thought that it was stupid for her to lose to Tamina. Um, going into WrestleMania season and all that, but I'm not that mad about it. But what I am mad about is Reggie sticking his nose in all these women's business. Now, I'm not too angry about him being in a love, you know, thing with Nia Jax because I feel like that's cute and it gives her something else to do besides bullying Lana and besides, you know, running through the same people on Raw over and over again. But I am so sick of Reggie sticking his nose in all these women's business because frankly, they don't need him in this in in their business. Why isn't he doing something else in the men's division? Like, why does he always have to, you know, butt in and basically be Black James Ellsworth? Like, it's just so annoying. Like, Nia doesn't need him, you know, for any type of X Factor thing. Shayna doesn't need him. And we all know for sure that Sasha Banks doesn't need him and neither does Bianca. And then when they were fussing at each other backstage about it, Sasha, you know, got in her face and basically said, you know, the only reason Reggie was out there was to mess with you. So it's your fault. But Bianca said, I didn't tell you to slap him in the face. I just told you to get rid of him because we need to focus. But then she called and then Sasha Banks called Bianca a rookie. And I'm just sitting here like, girl, what? How you gonna call Bianca Belair a rookie? Like you ain't finna do that. She will lift you and drop you, ma'am. Stop. But it was just, it was just a little bit too much for me. Like Reggie doesn't need to be in their business you know if he wants to be on raw and be in Nia Jax's face you know and be her boyfriend then fine but he definitely doesn't need to be in Sasha and Bianca's business they are they have enough charisma and enough attitude to carry this feud all the way to Wrestlemania and fight that match for the Smackdown women's title they don't need another dude in their business they really don't and Reggie just needs to sit his tail down and just stay on one show and stay in one lane and leave these black girls alone either way it was stupid um <laughs> okay so that's really all that happened with the women on that show so to go to the beginning of the show the show started with Edge coming out there and calling out um Daniel Bryan and um Roman Reigns and he basically said that Daniel Bryan you should never question his love of professional wrestling because he had spent over three or four decades you know fighting you know in the WWE against the likes of The Undertaker um and the British Bulldog and so many different other you know big names in wrestling um and this and basically this made Daniel Bryan come out because he was questioning his passion right and so Daniel Bryan you know explained that he respected Edge but he would do anything to get his one last shot at Wrestlemania and then Edge you know showed his own respect to um Daniel Bryan but he also said that these tactics you know are beneath you and basically you know if you want to get to the world title you know you don't have to do all of this 
And essentially, he was telling Daniel Bryan to get to the back of the line because Roman Reigns beat him, you know, whether it was fair or square or not, he still beat him. And he just needs to get to the back of the line as opposed to trying to step over him and all of the above. So this goes on um, later on. But then after this, we had a match involving the Street Profits and um, Ray and Dominic Mysterio versus Dolph Ziggler, Bobby Roode and the Alpha Academy. That's Otis and Chad Gable. And this match was pretty good. This is a match that would definitely like make Teddy Long proud. Shout out to him. Um, because this is a six, this is a, um, a tag team match. So this involved sort of like the Street Profits sort of trying to prove themselves to prove that they deserve another opportunity at the SmackDown tag team title since they've lost them. But as the Street Profits and Ray and Dominic were making their entrance, um, the heel team came out and basically attacked them from behind and tried to take the advantage. And then when they came back from commercial, they proceeded to get the match started and it was really cool. So, um, Dolph Ziggler and Bobby Roode showed a lot of their tag team um, chemistry here by um, isolating members of the other teams and keeping them from getting tagged in or tagging themselves in when the referee was looking or when the other teammates weren't looking. And that was really cool to see, even though they do begin on my nerves sometimes. I still got to give them their props. Um, <laughs> and then Dominic um, was showing off a lot of his um abilities here going up against you know these veterans you know who've been out here wrestling for a long time like he would he really was you know standing a little bit held in shoulders above Bobby Roode and in some cases even Dolph Ziggler like that was really cool to see um like he's just living his best young wrestling life and it's just really cool um and then Rey Mysterio had like this huge hot tag and then he helped clear the ring and then they and then both the Mysterios hit a double 619 on Bobby Roode who snuck in a blind tag off of Otis, who was showing off a lot of his power in this match. But then Montez Ford wound up ending the match with um, his From the Heavens Frog Splash, which was like, it was almost like he jumped to for the Frog Splash, but then he he twisted directions in midair and then he landed another way and it was just the coolest thing ever and then that's where they got the one two three and it was so cool and I'm just like and even um Angelo Dawkins pulled off some type of move I believe it was you would think I think it's a more so of a corkscrew DDT it was really cool like I feel like a lot of people give a lot of credit to Montez and his athleticism but at the same time Mon um Angelo Dawkins does a really good job for his athleticism as well. Um, so, yeah, like they made an emphatic win there, you know, to prove that they are worthy of having another chance at those tag titles. So that was a really good, solid match there. Then we had a um, a segment with Kayla Braxton and Seth Rollins and I thought this was kind of you know poignant because even though Seth Rollins was in character outside of kayfabe Seth Rollins is going through the loss of his um father-in-law um or at least future father-in-law and I thought it was kind of um strange well not strange in a bad way but just strange in a concerning way that he would be on television around this time but he still pushed through and persevered and I thought that was really good on Seth Rollins's part and of course you know we still wish healing energy for him and for Becky um and their baby um with the loss of her father but um back in the context of the show um 
Kayla asked him about Cesaro's swing on him two weeks ago and he got really angry about it. And once he heard that um, Cesaro was going to fight Murphy, you know, in a rematch from last week, he was intrigued by it. And so he watched the match from the top of the ramp as Cesaro basically threw around Murphy. And it kind of made me sad how Murphy, you know, had been on has he's been on TV the past two weeks. But beforehand, after his whole little thing with the Mysterio family and everything, he kind of disappeared. And I think that's kind of whack because he's so talented and he deserves, you know, a little bit more than what they're giving him now. But at least he's on TV still. And he's even been complaining about it on social media. But I'm pretty sure maybe that's a work or something. But it's kind of a shame. Um, he's the best kept secret again on Twitter. Um, and he doesn't need to be because he's really good. So Murphy jumped right, you know, into the giant swing from Cesaro. But then there was a point where he gave Cesaro this sick knee outside of the ring, um, before the commercial break. But then after the commercial break, you know, they were fighting each other and then Cesaro gave the swing and then Seth Rollins got angry and he ran down there in his little green suit and attacked Cesaro while he was doing the swing, which caused a DQ. And then Seth Rollins planted Cesaro with two stomps. Um, and then he trapped his head into a steel chair ready to stomp him again. But officials and referees came out and, you know, to stop that attack. And then when he and then when Seth Rollins ran backstage and was screaming at, you know, Cesaro, he ran backstage into the gorilla position and ran into Shinsuke Nakamura. And they had a little bit of a stare down. And I'm sitting here like, so Seth, you beefing with Cesaro and Shinsuke? Really? Okay. I'm not mad about it, but at the same time, it just kind of came out of nowhere. But that stare was very intense. And I'm like, Seth and Shin? Okay. Let's do it then. Um <laughs> then um there was the return of Big E, who returned from his um injuries that he sustained in the attack that apollo cruz you know put on him when he dropped the steps on him a couple weeks back um and he came out looking like he was on crutches and wrapped with you know casts and neck braces or whatever but then he snatched it all off when his theme song came on and he came out there and ran to the ring and acted like you know everything was normal but he came out there and cut the promo of a lifetime well I won't say of a lifetime but he cut a really passionate and dark promo and he was saying that Apollo Crews you know was going to get a beating that was biblical and he was gonna you know treat him like an eye for an eye and you know like the like and give the kind of beating where I beat where I take where you take one from me and I take you know three from you and I was sitting here like oh he really quoting the bible but you know as a fun fact Big E did used to be a minister and his dad was a uh, pastor so I mean he knows the scriptures so for me as you know a person who identifies as a Christian I'm sitting here like oh come on quote the scripture but either way, um, I was really intrigued by it. And I need more aggressive Big E. Like, I mean, not no, not no way that I don't want him to smile and be happy anymore. But it's just like when he gets triggered and he gets mad, you know it's real. Because those are the people in life you don't want to make mad. It's the ones who are always sweet and nice to you and positive. But then the minute you do something or say something or treat them wrong, they will snap on you. Anyway... <laughs> 
he's he just kept calling out for Apollo Crews saying, you know, I'll give you one more title shot, but I'm gonna give you what you deserve. You know, he kept calling for Apollo and then he gave like an open challenge for the Intercontinental title and said, you know, if Apollo won't come out here for me to beat him up, then I'll issue an open challenge for anybody to come out. And then King Corbin came out there and then he said, you know, well, I'm not in my suit. I'm in my $10,000 suit, but I'll still snatch it off in order to beat you. But then Sami Zayn pushed his way out of nowhere and said, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. And then he came out there, but then Big E slammed the crap out of him, you know, and then rolled out of the ring. Um, and then they went to commercial. And then when they came back from commercial, um, the match started and, um, Sami Zayn started going after Big E's ribs, um, but it only slowed him up for a little bit. And then once Big E got going, he threw Zayn around the ring with all of his suplexes and everything. And even though Sami Zayn tried to escape, Big E caught him and then planted him back in the ring. And then um, he, then Sami Zayn tried to hit a sunset flip power bomb that nearly, you know, sealed the victory for him. But then Big E kicked out, and then um, Sami Zayn lost his cool and then slapped him. And slapped Biggie like multiple times to try to get him amped up or whatever. And then he got real amped up and then he hit a big ending on Sami Zayn. And then he wound up retaining his Intercontinental title. So then after he won, Apollo Crews' theme song hit, you know, um, the new theme song with all the drums and everything. Because y'all know Apollo Crews and tapped into his Nigerian heritage. And, um... He attacked Biggie from behind, even though Biggie was kind of looking for him to pop up, you know, up front. He snuck him from behind, which is cowardly. And then he hit and and then he hit Olympic slams on Biggie multiple times and then took Biggie out with steel steps to the face. And he hit him in his arm. And it was just kind of like, well, dang. And then he took the steps and then stood up on the steps as if to say, you know, I'm standing above you now. And he kept yelling all kinds of smack at him with his Nigerian accent. And even though I haven't been talking about SmackDown here lately, let me say that I love this new version of Apollo Crews. I absolutely love it. When he came out there um, two weeks ago, and was talking about, you know, his Nigerian heritage and his granddaddy and all that other stuff. I'm pretty sure they don't say granddaddy, but in talking about his great granddaddy and how um, you meet people with steel and how um, all the women uh, and talking about all the wives that he had and all the other stuff. I thought that was cool because I'm sitting here like, you know, this is probably the most resolute that I've ever seen Apollo Crews since he's been on the main roster. Like... There's more to him than just him being like this smiley, happy dude who does flips all the time like a cruiserweight, but then can fight like a heavyweight. There's so much more to him. And I'm so glad that him tapping into this character, which he's had before in the Indies, you know, is allowing him to actually be this character that's standing on his own two feet and being sure of himself. I love the Nigerian Apollo Crews here. And last week, a lot of people said that they didn't like the accent and all that other stuff because they felt like, oh, he's being fake and, you know, he's not doing this. But my thing is, he mentioned on After the Bell and then he also mentioned in that promo last week that he was always afraid of tapping into that part of himself because he wanted to assimilate with the culture. And when you aren't necessarily from America um, to a certain degree, this is something that I've learned, you know, from people. Um, and learn in school and stuff it's just like when you're not necessarily of 
the basic American culture, you find ways to fit in because you're afraid that everybody's going to bully you because you're different and all that other stuff. And that's something that he really went through because, you know, he really is from Nigeria and he moved here, you know, to the United States when he was relatively young. And he felt like there were components of his culture that he had to hide. And now he's at the point where he doesn't and should not have to hide it anymore because that's who he truly is and we can't just expect him to be in this box that we've expected him to be in because as he's been in this box it hasn't worked for him him being the smiling black dude who we didn't even know was Nigerian you know or whatever you know isn't working for him him standing in his truth and him standing and be and having pride in his heritage and in his accent is definitely what the culture needs because you have all of these black people these black women and black men running around wrestling and everything being proud of who they are let apollo cruz be him let him be nigerian and if you don't like it well oh well <laughs> i mean it's here to stay and you might as well just hush like it was just ridiculous some of the stuff that I saw on social media where people were talking about how much they didn't like his accent and all that other stuff and, and all that. And I'm just saying here like and it was some people who were saying his accent was as fake as Kofi Kingston's. And my thing is Kofi was not Jamaican. He was Ghanaian and he moved to the United States when he was two. But that doesn't make him any less Ghanaian. And then there were all types of people who were talking about how he had just watched Coming to America too. Do not relegate African culture to the movies you see. Stop that. Don't do that. That's ignorant. Do not relegate African culture to just the movies you see. It's deeper and it's way more diverse than that. Like, please learn about these cultures before you say ignorant stuff like that online. Um, these are people and these are our people also. So yeah, leave Apollo Crews alone. Um, <laughs> and then to end the show, we had Daniel Bryan goading Roman Reigns into signing the contract for their universal title match. And Jay Uso, you know, at the beginning of the show wanted to talk to Roman Reigns, but then Paul Heyman told him not to walk in there because you know, he might be upset at him for losing his match to Daniel Bryan from last week. And um, then after that, Edge found Jay Uso and told him, you know, that he was wasting his talent working under the head of the table and saying that him watching him wrestle with his brother, you know, um, Jimmy and the tag team was one of the bright spots of his um, retirement. But then, you know, Jay Uso wasn't hearing it. You know, he was saying he was being disrespectful towards the family and all that. But then... Roman Reigns told Daniel Bryan, you know, immediately that he had changed his mind, that he didn't want to give Bryan a match at Fastlane. But then Daniel Bryan started, you know, calling out Roman Reigns and his, you know, cowardly attitude. And he was saying, well, maybe I should be the head of the table. Maybe I should be, you know, the leader and all this other stuff. Maybe I should be the leader of my family and the head of the island and all this other stuff, which made Roman Reigns angry. So he signed the contract. Um, and then Jay Uso threw the table out of the ring and he wasn't happy with um Daniel Bryan and the stuff that he was saying he was like I'm tired of you disrespecting the family I'm sick of you being disrespectful and then Edge came out there and challenged Jay Uso to a match next week and said that the winner would be a special guest enforcer at Fastlane for that championship match and then a brawl ensued where everybody and their mama was fighting and Paul Heyman moved out the way 
and then Daniel Bryan took the, took advantage and then hit Edge with a running knee and then did the yes chant um, while Roman Reigns was sulking and staring at him and that's where SmackDown went off. So this was a pretty solid episode of SmackDown and um, I just hope that they can get everything together and tie everything up in a bow for Fastlane so we can just go ahead and do this WrestleMania thing. So that's the end of the weekly recap and now we're going to go to the conclusion. All right, so thank you so much for listening to the Hardy Wrestling Podcast and listening to this 50th episode. I am so happy to have been able to start this, you know, last year um, and just to see it grow into what it has, you know, now, even though it's growing slowly, but surely it's just been an absolute honor and a blessing. Um, And I'm really grateful for all the guests that have come on my show and everyone who has shared an interest in coming on my show and who have, you know, helped it to grow and answer any questions that I may have had and just help me out. So thank you so much for helping me reach this milestone of 50 episodes. Um, and I hope to just continue to create great content for you guys and continue to share my love for wrestling with all of y'all. Like this is really great. Um, so if you want to reach out, you know, to the Hardy Wrestling Podcast, know that you can follow me on social media, on Facebook. Um, you can find the Hardy Wrestling Podcast. Um, you can also find me on Instagram at Hardy Wrestling Podcast. And you can follow me on Twitter at Hardy Wrestle Pod um, because of the characters. And you can listen to the Hardy Wrestling Podcast on Anchor, on the Anchor app for free. You can listen to me on iHeartRadio, Spotify, YouTube, um, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts as well. And also know that I am still selling my chill, positive, and passionate um, podcast t-shirts for $20 if you want one. Um, Feel free to DM me and find me on Facebook um, and message me if you want one. And then I'll make sure to um, order it and get it done as soon as possible. So thank you for joining me on this, for continuing to join me for 50 episodes of The Hardy Wrestling Podcast. And I hope to give you 50 more. Um, So until then... This is your girl, Stephanie Hardy. Um, Stay safe. Be an inspiration. Be the light of the world. Just be a good person. And until next time, bye, y'all. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.